0: What a great uh, day. What a beautiful day. Beautiful fall day. You know, I was thinking when I came in, enjoy the garden on your way out. Take a good look at it. It's supposed to drop below freezing this week, so I don't know how much of that we might lose. Uh, but I just wanted to let you know it's been a, what a wonderful garden it's been this year. Thank you all for those who took care of it and you know, provided those vegetables for people. We appreciate that. This morning, we're starting a new short mini-series. Actually, going to do this over the next couple of, uh, couple of Sunday, months. We're starting the book of Jonah for the month of October. In November, we're going to look at Ruth. And so, there' are short Old Testament books. We wanted to do something Old Testament. And, and so, well, we can get through each one in a month. And so, today, we're, we're talking about this, this great old story called Jonah. And, you know, everyone knows it from one way or another. I'm going to share my synopsis of this, which I'm calling Lessons from Down Under. (laughs) This book about Jonah gives a picture of a prophet of God who would rather run from God than to show the grace of God. The Ninevites are enemies to Israel, And a threat, and Jonah would would rather see them perish under God's judgment than for God to show His mercy to them, which He knew God would do. So that's my synopsis. Many have questioned whether the book of Jonah is historical. Most of us truly think of this story as a comic book adventure. When we were young, we were told the story, shown cartoon pictures, and have carried these images with us through all of our lives. Such images and interpretations limit our ability to really understand it historically. The miracle of the story seems so far-fetched that we laugh it off as unbelievable. And in our minds, we think of cartoon characters. Now, before we began this series, I took a quick survey of the others on the preaching team. And by the way, I, I've always called them the preaching team. Some have started calling us pastors, and I have a different concept of pastor than, than that. We're the preaching team. We bring the Word Sunday, and what, how exciting that has been for each one of us, I tell you. But before we began this series, I took a quick survey from those to ask how they interpreted the book of Jonah. And each one of us agree wholeheartedly, without a doubt, this is an actual historic event. So here's why I believe so. Historically, Nineveh was a powerful city, one of the largest cities of the ancient world. This is documented in just about any book of ancient history. At least 120,000 citizens lived there. Depends what you're reading, how you read it. There could be as many as 600,000. They they occupied this Assyrian city, which is located in northern Iraq across the Tigris River. Jonah was an actual real prophet of God identified in 2 Kings. So we look at this, 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 to 25. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah... Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria. You got that? (laughs) Clear as anything, isn't it? And he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel. From Libo Hamath to the Dead Sea, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through the servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. So there we have it. He lived. At the time of Jonah, Israel was a strong nation, strong politically, but not spiritually. Jeroboam II reigned from 793 to 753 BC. He was an evil king and greatly expanded Israel's borders. The verse reveals that Jonah was one of the few prophets who had come from the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, the book of Jonah is one of the main readings of Judaism during Yom Kippur that was just mentioned, which was last week, September 29th, beginning at sundown. And at Yom Kippur, the book of Jonah is read in synagogues around the world and has been done so for thousands of years because Yom Kippur was established in the year 1440 B.C. The account of Jonah as an actual event has been retold by Jewish believers for thousands of years, even to this day. As for me... I find this book an actual historic account mainly because of what Jesus said. So in Matthew 12, 38 through 40, he says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And acknowledge Jonah as a prophet of God, historically established. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now his reference to Jonah is made in an historical context. Not an allegory, not a parable. He did not say, as in the story of Jonah or in the parable of Jonah, or even consider the allegory of Jonah. He says clearly, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, linking that historical event to the event which would change history forever. So the Son of Man, Jesus' own self-description, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. If Jesus says that Jonah is real, then who am I to question him? Over the centuries, and especially in our lifetime, the experience of Jonah has become exceedingly over-exaggerated, mostly because of that cartoon image. But Jonah himself had become a popular prophet in Israel because he predicted success for the Israelites. He foresaw a great victory for Israel. He really loved Jonah the attention that was being given to him for that. However, when God called him to go and preach to Israel's enemies in Assyria, well, he knew it would tarnish his reputation. So he turns his back on God and Israel, resigns his position as a prophet, or maybe he just decided to retire, and sets off in the opposite direction toward Tarshish which was located in modern-day Spain. Just look on that map up there. Just look how far Jonah was willing to travel to get away from God. The good news for Jonah is that God was not finished with Jonah. Even though he disobeyed the Lord, God shows Jonah the same mercy he was willing to show Israel's enemies. So during the month of October, we'll be taking a closer look at the four chapters which complete this book. And whether you see the book of Jonah as historical or hysterical, (laughs) whether real or made up, well, there's still much truth to be discovered in this book. I believe it is historical, and I will speak from that perspective. In fact, all of us will. But if you find the story of Jonah and the big fish a, a bit hard to swallow pun included, then glean from it whatever lessons you may learn. So we begin our series today with chapter 1. Let's read this together. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port and paying the fare he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, the one who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, The men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The description is given to Nineveh is the great city. The prophet Nahum in chapter 3 verse 1 calls Nineveh the city of blood. Its nickname was the bloody city. Torture was rampant throughout the city. While reading some of its descriptions, it seemed to me that Nineveh would have made Sodom blush. The Assyrian Empire was stretching its boundaries by destroying other cities. And Israel was within their sights. For the country's corruption, for their bloodthirsty desire to take over their land, Israel despised these people. Now given the circumstances, who can? how can any of us blame Jonah for taking the action that he did? He tried to run from the Lord. Now I think part of this reason may have been fear. If he went to Nineveh, the kindest thing they would do to him is decapitate him. Once they learned he was a prophet from Israel, they would have had to no hesitancy to torture him. Another reason may have been because he was a beloved prophet, because he, he prophesied that Israel would have, have this great victory in battle, which they had. Going to Nineveh would be like becoming a traitor to Israel. He liked his standing with the people, and he didn't want to ruin his reputation. The truth is, he was running away from God. He did not want to obey the Lord. He may have had his reasons, but felt that running away was the best course of action for him. Now, Cretarshish, as you remember from the map, was the opposite direction from Nineveh, about 2,500 miles from where he stood in Joppa. He wanted to get as far away from his assignment as possible. So he jumps on a cargo ship, heading toward Tarshish. And again, the account says to flee from the Lord. Now the fun begins. God sends a great wind onto the Mediterranean Sea, which creates a violent storm so strong that the ship is about to break apart. Everyone but Jonah was afraid and doing all they could to stop the impending doom. The crew prayed to their own gods. They threw precious cargo overboard to lighten the weight of the ship. And where was Jonah when all of this started to take place? Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Now there's only one other occasion where I recall Someone sleeping on a boat in a storm. In Matthew, 20, in Matthew 8, 23 to 27, Jesus be, uh, being asleep on the bottom of the disciples' boats when a storm came upon them and they were afraid. Jesus, they woke him up. Jesus calmed the storm and told said to his disciples that they had little faith. Now the difference is the disciples were scared even in the presence of the Lord. While the crew was scared because Jonah was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. I hardly think Jonah was asleep. I hardly think Jonah fell asleep because he had a clear conscience. I, I think he fell asleep because he felt finally, I'm escaping God, getting as far away as possible from where God wants me to be. Perhaps he thought his plans were working and he could really relax. You ever do that? Ever get so involved with yourself that your own circumstances that you become oblivious to the crisis around you? It's all about me. That's what Jonah is saying. It's all about me. He could have been the the, the poster child of all about me. Um, I I guess this is a meme. I discovered my first meme. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> uh, this week. I just want to do this. It's a clip here from Toddlers and Tiaras. You, you know, little toddlers that are doing beauty pageants or, or whatever. And, and I read that and, and I'm astonished. She says, it's all about me. I don't worry about any of the others. It's all about me. What are we teaching our children? Man, what are they learning in school? What are they learning in their video games? What are they learning by their super rock star, you know, multi-million, billion dollar heroes that are out there showing off and saying it's all about me? What are we teaching our children? To me, if you go back to the 60s, the Beatles were my group. And there was a time in the 60s where they were having a lot of problems. They were bickering and fighting back and forth. They had just become popular. And uh, in fact, at this point, Ringo Starr actually left the group for a little while. And, and they were fighting and, and doing this. George Harrison later recalled that time. And he said, and that's why he wrote a certain song. He said, you had a lot of, you had guys with great talent and big egos. And so he wrote the song, all through the day, I, me, mine, I, me, mine, I, me, mine. That's kind of what we do when we're in that mindset. It's about me. It's like a little child. Mine, mine, mine. We've become self-absorbed. But what about God? What about God in this case? What does God want? He made it clear to Jonah he knew what God wanted. What about the crew? He didn't care about the crew. He didn't care if the ship broke apart and all the crew died because he was running from God. It was all about him. What about the souls in Nineveh that God wanted to have mercy on? Had he not made it there? Would they have survived? Would they have lived? It's all about me. How often our prayers are not to ask what God's will is, but to tell God what our will is. Because it's all about me. When the ship's crew found out Jonah was below, fast asleep, they weren't happy with him. The captain went down to wake him up and ask, how can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. They didn't care whose God helped them. But they did care about not just losing their lives, but who is responsible for his God's judgment for bringing this calamity upon them. So they cast lots, kind of like a a dice gamer drawing the short stick. And guess who the troublemaker was? Verses 8 through 10 is very revealing because they asked Jonah's career, his line of work, where he came from, what his people were. Listen to his answer again. He said, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So proud. Verse 10 reports that, they, that he, he was running away from the Lord and he had already told them so. But listen to Jonah's pride as he's saying this. Although he's running away from God, he's still boasting about his standing with God. He still prides himself as a Hebrew whose God is the Lord who made the sea and the dry land. And despite their pagan ways and beliefs, they figured out that the storm was brought upon them because of Jonah's sin. Did you ever consider what effect your sin may have on others? Before we sin, do we stop to think about that? Consider how Addictions and unfaithfulness have shipwrecked so many families. The sin of disobedience to the Lord can negative impact the lives of others around us. And correctly, they placed the blame right on Jonah. What have you done? They said. And since the sea was growing more fierce, they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea? Calm down for us. So Jonah was the problem, and Jonah was their solution. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that the great storm has come upon you. Jonah acknowledged his part in the crisis, and he had a solution for them. But it was not what he should have done. He told them to throw him overboard and their problems would be solved. He's still running from God. He does not repent. He still does not accept responsibility. If they throw him over the side and he dies, he still doesn't have to go to Nineveh. It's still about him. And he does not care about anyone else. In addition to this, suicide is unacceptable. The Jews really have a strong feeling about that. It's better for someone else to do you in than to take your own life. To do so would mean eternal separation from the Lord. Go out and rent the movie. It's a Peter O'Toole. It's an old movie called Masada. That explains that. Masada is this... Uh, area where the Romans were coming in and they were going to capture them. They were well fortified. But in the end, they drew lots and who would go and take the life of all the people living there and then one person would take the life of those that were left living so that only one soul would be condemned. They did so because they vowed to never again be slaves to any other country. To this day, Masada is a national uh, location. Whenever their new recruits come in, they take them to Masada to take their vows, to take their pledges. But therefore, because of this, Jonah cannot throw himself over the side. He needs these unbelievers to do it for him. Now, what an amazing lesson we find here, a powerful message. When we sin... We are responsible for our sin, and we must accept the consequences of our sin. Our sin can and will impact the lives of others, our loved ones, our friends, our co-workers who have put their faith and trust in us. We have no right to expect others to bail us out when we sin against the Lord. You know, I don't need to point out our sins today. It should be obvious. should be obvious to each one of us. The Holy Spirit in us convicts us of sin. And if you're thinking, oh, I've got this sin, guess what? The Holy Spirit's talking to you. The question is, are we responding as we should? Do we make excuses and try to spread the blame on others? Or do we fess up? And accept the responsibility for our actions. You know, I I know there's been times in my life when I just accepted responsibility for a sin that caused a broken relationship. And even though it was not my sin or my fault, by accepting that responsibility, it repaired those relationships along the way. How much more will our relationship with Jesus be restored when we acknowledge our sins of disobedience. Back to the storm. The crew couldn't bring themselves up to uh, tossing Jonah into the raging sea and kept trying with all their strength to row back to land. But they couldn't make any headway and they finally gave in. It's interesting to me that they prayed to Jonah's God, asking for forgiveness and asking God not to blame them for the prophet's death. They didn't want to be accountable for killing an innocent man, though he was hardly innocent. With a great splash, they threw him overboard, and it almost seems immediately the storm calmed down. Then it says they feared the Lord, offered a sacrifice, and made vows to him. Was this a conversion of the crew? Did they believe in God now? I don't know, but they were definitely impressed by the God of Jonah, the God who made the land and the sea. And that brings us to the heart of the story, or should I say the belly? God brought up a huge fish to swallow Jonah. In reality, he was being swallowed up in God's mercy. As Jonah was going down, God came up to him. All of this because Jonah was trying to run away from God. And surely Jonah was familiar with Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? There is nowhere. Not even in the belly of a huge fish. He knew there was no getting away from God. And though he purposed to get away from God, he knew he could not do so. Running from God does not take away his call on us. Fleeing from the Lord does not eliminate God's desire for us. If you find yourself trying to run from God, hide from God, ignore God, just remember God is not through with you. It doesn't take... Three days in the intestines of a great fish. But God will not stop pursuing you in his love and for his purpose. Now, you know, as we continue to study this book of Jonah, keep this in mind. Disobedience to God is always a downward motion. He went down to Joppa. He went down to the ship, into the ship. He went down into the sea. He went down into the great fish. Disobedience always leads us downward. Even so, our Lord is still there. As he brought up a great fish to swallow and spare the life of Jonah, God is there for us, bringing us up through the depth of our sin and disobedience to repentance. But we may have to go through some rough times if we try to run from him. What lessons can we learn from down under? Today, that one lesson may just be this. Even though we may be disobedient from God and sin against Him, God is not finished with us yet. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for this lesson and the, the, this month as we look at Jonah's mistakes and your power. Help us to recognize this day, Lord, that if we are holding any sin in our heart, that we come before you. Calm the raging storm in our own lives. That we may be at peace with you in your forgiveness. And now, Lord, as a church, we want to express that message too. And so we come to this time of our offering to give of ourselves that others may know you are a loving and forgiving God. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.